I'm Kate Daniels. First thing in the morning, we get to talk about food. Not just any food, but cheese. That's our focus, and we're getting our day going with some great protein. Gordon Edgar joins us. Gordon lives in the world of cheese. He's a buyer for San Francisco's Rainbow Grocery Cooperative. He's done this for over 20 years and writes about cheese adventures as well. Gordon joins us this morning with his new book, Cheddar, A Journey to the Heart of America's Most Iconic Cheese. Gordon Edgar, good morning. Thank you so, so greatly for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Kate. I'm so happy that this is happening because one of the most favorite thing that I think people like to talk about is food. In particular, though, we're going to focus on, this is pretty amazing, a book about cheddar, the whole book, cheddar. Well, and talking about cheese, of course, is quite phenomenal. So this is quite an interesting journey. And to fill a book with the adventures of cheddar, that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, well, you know, cheddar cheddar deserves a lot of words, so I, I thought I would try to put them all together in one place, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, because, in fact, there are so many cheddars as well that it, it deserves more than a, a, a passing mention. Well, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, we really came up with the, the idea for the book. It came, it came through a few incidents, but, you know, one thing I realized, you know, I, I've been working in cheese for about 21 years now, and um, at a certain point, I realized, you know, we're going through this kind of amazing cheese renaissance in the United States. Um, there's, there's an incredible amount of, of new cheese makers. There's probably more diverse types of cheese being made in the United States than at any other time in, in its history, probably. Um, and uh, at some point, I started thinking, you know, why did we need this renaissance? You know, what happened before that meant that, you know, we're having this, this kind of, you know, surge of new cheese now? And I realized to kind of to kind of figure that out, I needed to look into the history of uh, cheddar and the way that that cheddar is affected, you know, the way that cheese is produced in the United States, and also just the the whole um, you know food system in the United States. Because is it safe to say that cheddar is the American cheese? That's our identity. Well, you know, it's it's funny because of course cheddar you know originated in England, you know, around the village of Cheddar in England. But what makes it really specifically American um, is the fact that, that the Americans kind of developed a factory system for making cheddar. You know, before uh, the, the 1850s or so, you know, it, cheese, all cheese, not just cheddar, was, uh, was made on farms. Um, and it wasn't a real professionalized business. There, was, there were some cheese professional cheese makers who would go from town to town, but mostly it was just a, you know, a job for the farm wife, um, you know, yet another job for the farm wife. And, um, you know, in the 1850s, um, um, uh, in upstate New York, um, a family developed a cheddar factory, you know, the idea that people would bring their milk to this one place to make cheese. And that kind of changed the way that cheddar, uh, cheddar was produced all over the world eventually, and it, it also made cheddar uh, America's most popular cheese for 150 years. So this was in upstate New York, and now I bemoan the fact that I was there earlier this year or in the vicinity. If I'd known that Rome was so famous for cheese, I would have had to make a beeline for that area, which you, of course, did in your research. And that was an interesting story for you. Yeah, you know, they have one of those, you know, kind of recreated villages, uh, the the Erie Canal Village, um, where they, they took a cheddar factory from... Um, it wasn't the very first cheddar factory, but it was it was a very early cheddar factory from the 1800s, 
and they moved it into this little village where where all you know they hire people to to wear you know time period clothing and and give you tours and stuff like that. But they have a great little museum there. It actually it explains the 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 process of making cheddar probably better than than almost any place I've ever been. And um, they have lots of old, you know, and this is for a kind of cheese geek like me. It's really exciting. They have all sorts of old, you know, cheddar making and, and butter making uh, machinery, you know, so you can really see how they used to make it in the old days. Um, so it's, it's definitely, definitely worth a trip if you like that kind of thing. So that's something for a road trip, perhaps, uh, for next summer as people make plans for the future, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in this journey, because you really did travel right across the country from home in San Francisco and where your work is, to have that experience of really learning about the history of cheddar. Yeah, definitely. You know, I made you know you had to make trips to Wisconsin, of course. I made I made a few. <laughs> it's kind of the uh, the capital of cheddar in the country, I'd say. I and mean, there's still 60 uh, cheddar makers in in Wisconsin um, alone. Um, but you know, definitely going to Vermont. Um, you know, going through places in California, going to going to Tillamook in Oregon. Um, you know, there's there's cheddar making in 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 many states of the of the union. You know, it's it's. Uh, I was just sad that I couldn't visit every one, but that that book would have taken probably uh, ten years to write. So <laughs> <laughs> I decided I needed to cut it off somewhere. So. And and might be a little intimidating as a a book to just say, oh, I think I'm going to read Cheddar next. But if it's a thousand pages, maybe <laughs> not right now. <laughs> right? I think the book ends at a very, you know, it's a very readable amount of pages. I think it's perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. And so here's the thing. To talk about the book and the storytelling in it, you definitely are a storyteller at heart. Yeah, well, you know, I think in a lot of ways I always have been, but certainly working at a cheese counter for 20 years, you know, I, I think that, you know, both this book and the book that I wrote earlier, um, you know, a few years ago, they're kind of um, a way to try to have an extended conversation, you know, um, because, you know, when I, when I work behind the counter, people come up and you talk to them and you have like 30 seconds, you have a minute maybe to tell them about a cheese, um, you know, so I think that, you know, telling these stories and, and writing about this is, is kind of a, it's an attempt to have an extended conversation that I can't have in my day to day, but that I want to have, you know. And so, um, so yeah, you know, I've got a lot of, got a lot of cheese stories from over the years, you know, um, whether it's, you know, visiting cheesemakers or going to conferences or, or all those kind of things. Um, you know, I've been kind of cheese oriented for a while, and, and that's something that, that people seem interested in. And certainly we are. We find cheese really everywhere that we turn around and look. It's it's a, a center for parties and entertaining with cheese trays and and a different assortment of things like that. But it's on our everyday food, and of course, the all time favorite of mac and cheese. <laughs> Definitely, and and you know one of the spurs for the book was um, I was asked to to judge a macaroni and cheese contest, and um. It was it was one of these things where it was you know it was very like you know a lot of like sous chefs from from bigger restaurants were entering you know it was kind of a very foodie event and um, I was I was one of three judges and you know we decided on a cheese on a mac and cheese that we liked the best and it was you know a very classic one using Vermont cheddar and all this kind of stuff but there was also a uh, People's Choice winner um, and the People's Choice winner um, when when it was revealed who that was um, that the person who cooked it revealed that. They had um, they made it with Velveeta, and um, and you know the crowd, which 
you know, honestly, had taken itself very seriously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we kind of deflated, you know, itself because it was like, oh my God, we just voted for Velveeta. You know, we're not as um, as food pretentious as we thought we were. <laughs> <laughs> but but I started. I, I was actually watching this reaction and seeing people being embarrassed for something that they liked, and I was like, wow, there's a story here about cheddar, about um, processed cheese, about um, you know the way that that people who've kind of embraced food. Uh, view themselves. And, and I felt like that was a real spur to think about, again, how cheddar fits into the whole system of food in the United States. And, 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 um, and you know, that's where I went with it. So it is really fascinating to take this journey and to consider that. And something like Velveeta, I mean, it still continues to be so popular, but it beca- it was probably even more popular before people became a little more conscious of, do I want to really eat so much and all of this processed food? Well, yeah, you know, and, you know, I grew up on Velveeta and Kraft Singles, like I think almost everybody of my generation did. And um, I think that, you know, the, the, the way that I tried to think about Velveeta in the book was really seeing it as the logical extension of, <clears throat> of the way that food has been produced in the United States. I mean, if you think about, if you think about cheese, First of all, you know, it's, it's a, you take milk, which is a protein, you know, and you, you're trying to convert it to something that, that it, you're trying to extend its life so you can eat it at a later date. I mean, this is kind of like civilization. You know, you're, you're, you're planning to have food at a later date. Um, and that's the concept of cheese. The concept of cheddar is that you're making a cheese that's fairly low in moisture, that you can age for a long time without it going bad, without it rotting. Um, and, you know, you've, obviously we've all seen cheddars that are aged, you know, a year, two years, even 20 years. Somebody made a cheese for 20 years. Um, so, you know, this is part of the cheddar process is, is, is making a cheese that are taking the milk and making a cheese that gives you food at even la- a later date than a fresh cheese would. So if you look at Velveeta, I mean, it's, it's this crowning achievement of, of, of American science, if you want to look at it this way, which is that, you know, you've taken this milk and you've made it indestructible. You know, basically, <laughs> you've, you've, you've processed it. I mean, you know, you, um, you've emulsified it. You've turned it into uh, the, the, the correct word or phrase for it is a homogeneous plastic mass um, <laughs> of food. And, um, and, um, and, you know, nothing can really go wrong with it. And, you know, that had, that had its uses, you know, you know, certainly during during the wars, <laughs> processed cheese was very popular. World War One, World War Two, you know, um, and you know it has its uses, but it also has its failings. You know, which is that you know, you know that kind of of product, you know, you're not tasting your your local, um, uh, you know, your, what your local cows are eating. You're not. You have no influence of a regional um, flavor to it. You you're not necessarily or probably helping small farmers survive. You know, it has, it has weaknesses to it, but why it exists makes total sense when you look at the way that food has been produced in America. So that's where it becomes such a surprise at your mac and cheese uh, contest, if you will, that here where it wasn't necessary to use a processed cheese, there it was at the center and the public loved it. <laughs> well, you know, the, the texture of, of, uh, of Velveeta or processed cheeses you know, it, 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 it's meant to be gooey and meltable. You know, my, my, my wife's from Texas and, you know, she, uh, she, you know, 
does not approve of any queso, you know, queso dip, you know, <laughs> being made without Velveeta. She's just like, that's just not right. <laughs> so, you know, but the thing is that processed cheese has been with us for over 100 years now, too. It has its own traditions as well. And, you know, I'm not here to speak for processed cheese, but, um, but you know, it's not a newcomer. You know, it's, it's been around for, for a long time now. And, you know, one of the fascinating things I found when I was doing research was, you know, back in the original days um, of making processed cheese, people had these really intricate recipes. It was like, oh, well, you take half um, of a matured aged sharp cheddar and then you mix it with a very young cheddar and then emulsify it. You know, they, they actually took the flavor very seriously in a way that um, is, is very different from today. And flavors, oh, that is such a key thing. You begin to develop a taste, I think, for for the different kinds of cheddars that there are. And probably, the, would you say the majority of people, Gordon, gravitate to more of a mild or a medium? What's your sense of that? Well, you know, I would say that, you know, certainly, um, whether it's for price reasons or for uh, flavor reasons, you know, uh, People, you know, a lot more mild cheddar is sold um, than than sharp cheddar. I mean, you know, our store our store alone sells two and a half tons of mild cheddar a year. You know, that's <laughs> that's a lot of cheddar. Um, but you know, it's also that's also five dollars a pound as opposed to you know when you start getting into the really you know intricate like cloth bound cheddars. You know, those can be up to the thirties. Um, I think that you know cheddar it, it, it's like all those things. Once you once you start tasting. Um, you know, really good cheddar, like the first time you have like really good coffee or beer or wine or any of those things, it, it becomes a little harder to go back because you're like, whoa, you know, this is much more complex than I thought it would be. Um, you know, the, when I went from, you know, Velveeta and Kraft Singles to working in a, in a cheese department, I was just blown away. I was like, wow, I didn't know cheese could taste like this. And, um, you know, especially with, with the more traditional cheddars, the ones that are, that are cloth-bound and, you know, not aged in plastic to develop a natural rind, those cheeses never get super sharp, but the com- complexity of the flavor of, like, the earthiness, the grassiness, the, the, you've got these, like, kind of minerally, like, cellar kind of, kind of flavors to it, um, you know, it's just incredible um, what, you can, what you can make out of milk um, is, is just incredible. It is to really look at that kind of intricacy. And that is the type of experience that we get and we begin to really consider in this great new book, Cheddar, this great journey. So, Gordon, mm-hmm. as uh, you were taking the journey and you're talking about the different flavors and the, the grassiness and the sweetness and that sort of thing, isn't it in New York that they really focus on the Jersey cows? their milk makes the best kind of cheese. Well, you know, it, it's funny. There's been a, the most common cow in the United States is the Holstein. You know, that was pretty much chosen because it's a volume producer. You know, it produces more volume than any other cow. But there's definitely been a, a move afoot, especially for cheese making, to use Jersey cows, which are much smaller cows that produce much less milk, but they have a much higher um, butter fat and protein count. So that has a lot of advantages for cheese making. Um, and it definitely gives you a more buttery flavor and a more, a lot of people would argue, a, you know, a more interesting flavor than, than Holstein milk. It's funny, though, because with cheddar, there actually is this debate um, about Jersey milk and cheddar. And, you know, in England, they're the, probably the, the most traditional cheddar maker in the world 
uh, is Montgomery's cheddar in England. Um, you know, they still make their own cultures for the cheese, you know, like kind of like you keep a sourdough starter. You know, they, they have their own cultures that they use to make the cheese. Um, and they have a, a herd of heritage Jersey cows, but they don't use that milk for cheddar ever. They make a different cheese with that because they find that they, in their opinion, the Jersey milk is too fat to make cheddar, and it doesn't make as good cheddar as they make with the milk of their other cows. But in Vermont recently, there's this heritage Jersey herd um, uh, from this company that's called Farms for City Kids. They're also called Springbrook Dairy, and they've made these award-winning cheeses that, that aren't cheddars, um, but they're really fantastic cheeses like Tarantay's, uh, a Raclette. And um, they had a problem with their cheese-making facility, so they had to do something with their milk. So they went to their neighbors at Grafton Cheese Company in Vermont, and they said, you know, can you use our milk um, for something? And they created this cheese that they call Queen of Quality. Queen of Quality is, a, is kind of a, a name that people who have Jersey herds call their the Jersey cow the Queen of Quality um, <laughs> because it's such high-quality milk. And so they made these, these Queen of Quality cloth-bound cheddars, um, which are some of the best cheddars I've ever had in my life. And they're, they're seasonal. Um, they run out every year. They only make a certain amount but it is definitely something worth seeking out when it's around. It's usually usually around sometime around the summer for a few months, and uh, it just gives this whole buttery richness to a cheddar that you don't expect. That it really makes a special cheese. So, having said that, that this is such spectacular cheddar in Vermont, but Wisconsin would perhaps consider themselves as the capital and the perhaps best uh, cheddar maker in the world. Yes, Wisconsin would absolutely consider themselves that. <laughs> <laughs> However, and, and I agree. I mean, Wisconsin makes great cheese, you know, and there's there's still sixty um, sixty producers of, of cheddar in one state is is a lot. You know, they I want to say they make something like over five hundred and fifty million pounds of cheddar in Wisconsin every year, and you know that's a that's a lot of cheddar, um, and it's very much um, a cultural thing in in Wisconsin. You know, they love their cheddars, and they're very proud of their cheddars, and there's still more small producers of cheddar in that state than anywhere else. It tends to be a little less, I mean, if you look at the classic, like, northeast cheddar, um, like Vermont, um, uh, upstate New York, it tends to be a very strong, bitey, um, sharp, almost bitter cheddar. The Wisconsin cheddars tend to be creamier. They tend to be um, sweeter, uh, a little richer. Um, you know, so there's definitely regional differences in what, what people like. But, yeah, Wisconsin is definitely still the capital of cheddar. <laughs> oh, and to th- that's a mind-boggling number of the quantity of cheese that is produced. Certainly some of it needs to be exported, or are we consuming all of that? Yeah, we're pretty much consuming all of that. Um, the The United States, um, <laughs> I mean, this was one of the funny things I found in my research, I, I you know, when I started working in cheese in the 90s, I mean, the idea of the U.S. exporting cheese to kind of anywhere was almost a joke. I mean, you know, you know U.S. cheesemaking wasn't considered, it was considered very industrial, uh, but not very interesting and, and not necessarily worthy of, of export to especially countries that produced their own cheese. Um, but, you know, what I found was in the late 1800s, um, after the U.S. kind of cheese factory system took off, um, the U.S. was exporting cheese to England. Um, and, and, and a lot of it, um, until, <laughs> until kind of people sabotaged their own, uh, good thing, um, by, uh, by adulterating the cheese, basically. They, there was this thing called filled milk cheese where they would take out the butter fat, um, and use that for, for butter or other uses, um, and then refill it with vegetable oil. 
Um, you know, so you created this cheese that, that is, you know, as much like kind of a Velveeta of the day, but, um, but was not very popular. And soon the U.S. export market completely dried up because of this. Um, so a lot of the uh, today, if we look back at today, um, there's a lot of, of especially West Coast cheesemakers are starting to um, export to Asia. Um, but there's not, not a lot of export to traditional cheesemaking countries at all. And you, in your role in uh, in San Francisco at the Rainbow Grocery Cooperative, you uh, are working with local cheesemakers, right? What you sell in your store is what's made in California. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, we sell stuff from from all over the world as well, um, but we definitely try to try to you know stick up for the locals. You know, <laughs> um, you know, things have changed a lot in the last. Um, 20 years that I've been buying cheese. I mean, it used to be, you know, any local cheese that we put on the shelf, people w- would jump at, you know, they would just buy it. And, and people even understood that, that new cheesemakers um, go sometimes through a, you know, a patch where their, their cheese isn't super consistent. I mean, that's just part of the, the, the you know, the process of learning how to make cheese. Um, you know, learning how to deal with seasonality, learning how to deal with differences, learning why maybe one batch is different than another. I feel like back in back in the '90s, the people who were seeking out cheese were a lot more forgiving. Um, I would say at this point, um, especially in a place like San Francisco, and I'm, I'm sure you know, to some extent Seattle as well, um, you know, people are less forgiving. They've tasted a lot more good cheese, um, and they um, they really are, are seeking out something, especially when they're paying top dollar, um, that is going to be really special. So I'd say it's a lot harder for for new cheesemakers. To, uh, to get started these days than it used to be. Um, having said that, you know, we really try to make an effort with, uh, with new cheesemakers and try to, try to you know, tell people, you know, hey, you know, we've got to give these people room to grow because all these cheeses you love, you know, they all started out a little rough <laughs> before they learned how to, how to do it. But, uh, but you know, um, there's, there's definitely some great cheesemakers in California as, as there are in, in Washington State. And that is something that I really found surprising. So we can do a, so much uh, kind of exploring once we start reading. So once I got in, jumped into Cheddar, I decided to see what was going on here in Washington State. And this is simply the western side of the state that there are almost two dozen cheesemakers. And that might not be all of them, but the list that I found had that. I was really stunned. Yeah, you know, Washington State is really making some great cheese. Um, when people ask me where, where the exciting cheeses are coming from, I tell them it, the South, believe it or not, because uh, a lot of people have found out that the South is a great place to do dairy because uh, you know animals can graze year-round on, on really fresh grass. But the other area of the United States that's really exciting is Pacific Northwest, um, Washington and, and Oregon. A lot of great new cheesemakers. You know, cheddar-wise, I mean, you know, you had Beechers that started in Seattle, um, and, you know, you have these two great cheesemakers who used to work at Beecher's. Um, you know, one is Brad Sinko, who, who works at Face Rock Creamery in Bannon, Oregon now. And you got uh, Daniel Utano, who um, works at Ferndale Farmstead in Washington State. You know, cheese has kind of expanded. You know, you have people who learn this craft and then are taking it and then also making, you know, not just cheddar, but other cheeses as well. So it's a really, really exciting time for cheese, for sure. Here in Seattle, you get, just got your, new, uh, your first new cheese bar, too. Now that, I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like a wine bar, but with cheese. (laughs) Whoa, how exciting. Well, 
we need to mention, as we're saying what's happening in Seattle, that you actually are going to be making a trip here uh, to talk about this book, Cheddar, which is exciting. Yeah, I'll be at Elliott Bay um, on March 21st, um, and I'll be doing a reading. We'll, I'm sure we'll have some cheddars to taste, and uh, it should be fun, because I, I definitely try to read the funny stories in the book when I do readings, too. You know, I figure the serious stuff you can read on your own, but I, I try to read the funny stories. And there are quite a number of them, and that's what's really so appealing about a journey to the heart of America's most iconic cheese, cheddar, is that all of these stories, and there are a lot of humorous ones, and it's fascinating. It's been a great trip, right? It has. It's, um, it was a lot of fun. It was really a lot of fun to do the research. Uh, it was mostly a lot of fun to do the writing. You know, that's how writing goes. It's not always fun. <laughs> but, um, but it's great to have, uh, have, have this finished and, uh, and, and be out there. And, you know, the response, especially, you know, what really gets me, too, is when, when you hear from the cheesemakers um, and when they're really happy with what you wrote about them and, and what you, you know, the way you looked at stuff. I mean, that's, that's really a satisfaction, you know, for, for finishing a project like this. So I'm going to bring us back into Washington State and uh, the making of cheeses, uh, in particular cheddars, going into eastern Washington. And I think this is kind of fascinating that at Washington State University, that was a cheese that I tasted some years ago and just loved their sharp white cheddar, their cougar gold. Uh, There, of course, it's part of the university. So we see that opportunity for students, for young people to really get going in this whole industry and uh, really develop a good craft. Well, you know, if I had one regret with the book, it's that I actually didn't spend more time talking about Cougar Gold because I think it's a really interesting um, cheese too. It's um, it's a canned cheese, which um, you know, at one point um, it was considered, you know, basically post-war, post-World War II. Um, you know, the idea is like, okay, you know, canned cheese is the future. You know, instead of coming in plastic wrap. You know, because that hadn't real that technology hadn't really been developed really well yet. We're going to like um, you know figure out a system to make cheese in cans that preserves the cheese, and um, you know Cougar Gold is pretty much one of the last remaining cheeses that's made that way, and it's 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 a fascinating cheese, and it's a it's a great cheese. It has a huge following, you know, and I feel like people who are from Washington are always asking me, you know, hey, well, have you tried Cougar Gold? You know, and like nothing else is better than that. So <laughs> it definitely is a great opportunity to learn, and it's also a source of regional pride, I would say. Oh, definitely. And it's also one of those seasonal cheeses because uh, I was just looking on the website and and it's sold out. You have to wait for, I, I guess, the, the cows to, you know, get busy and have more grass around for them to eat, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, and also probably for the students to be back in, in session. But <laughs> yes, that. but yeah, no, it's definitely a great cheese. So there's just so much that's fascinating about the book Cheddar, seeing this whole history, experiencing the history, thinking about what it is that we love about cheese. And actually, and now because we have a moment or so left, I'm going to go back to the mac and cheese because it is such an all-time favorite and I steer away from using the processed cheese. So my secret, I think, and it's not a secret, anybody could do this, <laughs> is I use a pressure cooker. It does such phenomenal work to make this dish just so creamy and a great texture. Oh, interesting. I, I can, I'm going to try that. I'm going to give that a try. You know, my, my secret for mac and cheese is, you know, I use a cheddar base generally, 
But I always take um, a piece of brie, and actually like a cheap piece of brie, you know, it doesn't have to be an expensive one, cut off the rind and throw that in there. Yes. And to me, that's, that also gives it a really nice, rich, creamy flavor. But uh, I'm going to try that pressure cooker idea. That's a good one. Okay, you use the pressure cooker and get that. And I am going to take your secret of the brie, which I just love, but I hadn't thought of incorporating that. So isn't this great to trade recipe ideas and really devise uh, a a great recipe uh, for ourselves, of course, but for our families and friends? Yeah, we could do this all day. We could, but unfortunately, we don't have that luxury. But hopefully, we've inspired people to get their own copy of Cheddar. Mark the calendars, of course, for March 21st. Because yeah, no, please mark your calendars. It's yes, going to be a fun event. It will be at uh, Elliott Bay Books, which is uh, such a happening place. So we'll get a chance to talk more about this and maybe have already uh, tried out some of the ideas and share more recipe ideas, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, that sounds great. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, one more thing we do need to do, I think, Gordon, is mention that you have a blog, so let's direct people there. Oh, yeah. No, my my website is uh, gordonzola.net. It's like, it's like Gorgonzola, but Gordonzola. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, and I couldn't get the .com for some reason, but it's .net. And, um, and you know, I have, um, I'm actually working on a project now where I'm going to be annotating the book with pictures um, from the trip. It's not up there yet, but it, I'm working on it now. I should have the first chapter up in a couple days. But, uh, you know, from, I realized I took pictures of all these places I visited, and, of course, they're not in the book. Why not put them online? That's, that's, what, that's what the Internet's for, right? Exactly. You bet. That's how we can expand and expound, right? Exactly. Well, this has been most fun, Gordon. I really appreciate uh, your passion and, and your curiosity to have done all the research that you did and really have a chance for all of us to experience it through your great book, Cheddar. So thank you for spending time with us this morning. Oh, thanks for having me on, Kate. I really appreciate it. It's been great fun. And remember to mark your calendar for Monday, March 21st, 7 p.m. at Elliott Bay Book Company to meet Gordon Edgar.